0: Time to rock at the bottom of the ocean with SpongeBob SquarePants and Patrick. Soak up all the action and play the SpongeBob SquarePants movie video game out now. Ahoy, mates, and welcome aboard to episode 131 of I'm Ready a SpongePod Squarecast. I'm Captain Eric. And we are not setting sail for the fourth season of Spongebob Squarepants, not this week, because, ladies and gentlemen, I have a sickness that I have to to lay out on the table here, and I have to be open about it because I just have a bad case of movie fever. I've had movie fever for a few weeks now, and it's all thanks to my buddy Shift. I don't mean to uh, shamelessly plug his, uh, his Twitch subathon, but it's been going on for... 744 plus hours as of the recording of this episode and what Shift has been doing is he's been playing the Spongebob Squarepants movie game every night playing the game without getting hit and he hasn't been able to fully beat it yet because even during the final boss battle you have people able to reset the run at any time as a uh, as a sub bonus if you're able to achieve that I have actually been present during occasions where Shift has been, during the final boss battle against King Neptune, 15 seconds away from beating the game without getting hit once to have somebody swoop in to pay for a reset of the run. It's incredible. And when Shift is not playing the game, he has versions of Revenge of the Flying Dutchman, Battle for Bikini Bottom, and the Spongebob Squarepants movie game up and running on his Twitch channel with the chat given the ability to play the games a la Twitch Plays Pokemon. And and yes, these are fully 3D platformers being played just moments at a time with little increments of the control stick and it's great to watch and it's also, it's a fun time to play too. So check out Twitch's stream, I'll have the link in the description below uh, for his Twitch channel. He didn't ask me for any of this, but since I'm covering movie, we're talking so much movie, I gotta support the movie. Movie forever. It's all about the movie over here. And like I said, I've had movie fever, so now I've gotta pass that fever on to you. But uh, I gotta take a a break this week as far as just the over-editing of these episodes and... um, and the over-presentation of myself, I got kicked in the rear end last week with the SpongeBob SquarePants movie episode. I think I talked about it, um, but to open up a little bit, I spent eight or so hours last Thursday because I I lost my usual day off that I have to record these episodes, And, and for the last few weeks, I've actually had a few in the can ready to go. Um, But due to some other personal um, stuff on my end and work-related stuff, I had to obviously put some Captain Eric things on the back burner, which meant that this episode of the SpongeBob SquarePants movie was going to be recorded on the day it was also meant to release. And I spent eight hours researching the episode, structuring how I wanted everything to be, what I wanted to cover, what I wanted to talk about, And at the end of that eight hours, I had like an hour and 40 minutes of a podcast that I didn't want to release. It wasn't up to my standards, and uh, to be honest with you, I would much rather delay an arbitrary podcast release, because I'm not getting paid for this, so releasing things on specific days are just on an accountability for me, and I would rather... I would rather skirt that than forcibly release something that is not satisfactory to me, if that makes sense. And I hope anyone out there can appreciate that and can understand that. So uh, I, I just dumped it and I said, you know what? I'll do it the next day. Had a pretty rough day at work, but I came in on Friday evening like a boss and recorded what was ended up releasing on Saturday morning as the SpongeBob SquarePants movie episode, episode 130 of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. So I am pretty proud of that episode as it stands. I went over a lot with the movie, with myself personally, and it was like, as I said in that episode, almost impossible for me to talk about the SpongeBob SquarePants movie because it was just so intertwined of this really weird and difficult time in my life. Uh, But just to give you a little bit of an epilogue to that story, after middle school, I had a pretty successful time in high school. Didn't really deal with any bullying, didn't have any social issues, and I certainly didn't have any academic issues. Uh, Sure, I would piss off a teacher here or there for, for whatever reason, and there's certainly stories to pull from, from the times of Captain Eric in high school, but that's for another time. Uh, As as for movie games, since we're all about the movie here, movie games have been around for as long as video games have been around. There is a very easy-to-understand concept of slapping something well-known on the box or cover of a video game to just get that instant sale, and... For those at the extreme top of some of these businesses, it can be very simple for them not to care whatsoever as to what is behind that cover, and to just know, hey, we got the sale because of this character, this license, this movie, that's all that matters. Now, in the realm of games based off of movies, there are certain degrees as to how these games are produced and developed. Sometimes a video game developer can get a license from a movie and it's not to coincide with any sort of specific release and they can make that game as good or polished as they desire it to be and can release it to fanfare. Games like Rockstar's version of The Warriors, for example, released far after the original movie and is built using some of what they know of Grand Theft Auto into an incredible movie-based video game. And there are other cases where video game developers are given little to no time to produce whatever they can to coincide with the release of a movie in theaters. Video games like Charlie's Angels and Catwoman, notorious movie-based games that, as mentioned, were just kind of thrown on to these developers. And In some other cases, these movie studios give little to no information to these Game developers and just expect them like, hey, look, you have the license. Here's some tidbits of information. Make the game. Just make whatever. Get something out in stores so that people know that this movie also exists. And we all make money. And that's all that matters at the end of the day, right? (laughs) Well, of course, you need money to survive to a certain extent, uh, or you could just live off of the land completely. There are those off of the grid that do not need the currency of the land, and hey, more power to you if you're out there surviving out there like that, but uh, uh, yeah, you, you understandably need money for the most part, but there's this over need for profit that comes into play where they kind of just throw so much at the wall to see what sticks, and at the end of the day, as long as you buy their product, it, it doesn't really matter other than in the fact of one of the most notorious movie-based games of all time, I'm sure with that buildup, if you're an avid gamer at all or you're familiar with video gaming in any capacity, one of the most notorious movie-based games is E.T., the extraterrestrial, for the Atari 2600. This game was released in 1982, and, and just for perspective's sake, this game was developed by one man, who was given very little information about E.T. and had five weeks to develop the game to get it ready in time for the 1982 Christmas season. Howard Scott Warshaw designed the entirety of E.T., which, on the surface, you can look at this game and go, wow, this is a terrible video game. But if you actually learn how to play it and how the mechanics work... It really is not the worst video game of all time, nor should it even be considered one of the worst video games of all time simply because of the game itself. There are certain perspectives to that angle that need to be attributed because there are massive AAA games that have hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars dumped on them with plenty of time to only have them release like a wet fart in church. And to me, that is ten times more offensive than any game that's developed by anyone in five weeks. If you can make something playable in five weeks, that is going to be more impressive than any video game that, that has so much backing and time and then releases to an almost unplayable state. There's, there's a massive difference there that needs to be made. Uh, but yeah, video games crashed In the year 1983, and E.T. the Extraterrestrial is one of the first games heavily blamed for this issue. Uh, There are a lot of problems that contributed to this crash. There was an overflood of consoles and games on the market with varying degrees of quality. Consumers were getting sick of having to buy different attachments for different systems. All these games were just coming out. No one could keep track of them. There was no clear way to know what was good, what was bad. Of course, there were magazines at the time, but there was just too much all at once. And to be honest, there were rarely video game companies at this time. There were some like Atari, but then there were others like Mattel that were toy companies getting into the video game market and just flooding it with so much extra shovelware that didn't need to be out there. There are so many games of this time that I, I don't even know if they're worth going back and playing because the sheer amount of them, there are certain gems, of course. Of course, on Atari, ColecoVision, the Intellivision, there are gems on all of those systems. But if you look at the libraries in their entirety, and then you add in other consoles that were released at the time, including all of the other needless upgrades that Atari was making to their own systems, like the 5200 and the 7800, Atari themselves didn't help at all during this crash. And just to give you an idea as far as what this crash really looked like, how how they consider this a crash, in 1983, the revenue of video games peaked at $3.2 billion. Whereas two years later in 1985, the total revenue peaked at $100 million. 97% in a two-year period. People were sick of video games, and in 1985, Nintendo came into America, who, once again, Nintendo, also a toy company that eventually got into video games, so it's not like it's unheard of elsewhere in the world, but Nintendo comes in and says, hey, look, we're a video game company, 100% now, we don't really make toys anymore, and we have a certain level of quality that we're going to bring to the table, and here's our seal of approval which was that big gold seal that you would see on the front of every single officially licensed NES game and Super Nintendo game. Of course, there were a bunch of other companies that tried getting in on the, uh, on the NES and Super Nintendo bandwagon, but for the most part, Nintendo had a stranglehold on what games were being released on their systems, and that helped bring the video game market back up into the mainstream, that and the, the addition of Sega coming in big with the Sega Genesis into North America, really bringing uh, a massive wave of heat to the market with Sonic the Hedgehog. And that was an exciting time to grow up in. You know, when I talk about growing up in the 90s, one of the first things I usually like to talk about is is the animation of the 90s. Whether or not it's just Nickelodeon, but what was going on on Cartoon Network, even what was happening behind the scenes at Disney, the 90s was an exciting time for animation. And second to that, I always love talking about what the video game scene looked like throughout the 90s. It was an exciting time from Nintendo versus Sega, Mario versus Sonic, to Sony coming in with the PlayStation. Oh my goodness, here's Crash Bandicoot and Solid Snake, then the N64. There's so much love there, and especially one of the things that I like thinking about going back to that time is some of the video games I played, including some of the licensed games I played, which is really funny going back to last week's episode, because if you remember, a few of the other animated movies I had mentioned about being some of the greatest of all time that I would I would objectively tell you are better than the Spongebob SquarePants movie. But then subjectively I wasn't sure why I preferred Spongebob Aladdin. The Lion King, two movies I mentioned last week, and here I am again this week telling you that both Aladdin and The Lion King are two of the greatest movie-based games ever. And these were games that I believe were released pretty closely to the film's release, and if you haven't played any of them, I I can't recommend them enough. In fact, there is a, a set... That's out right now that includes all versions of Aladdin, all versions of The Lion King, and all versions of The Jungle Book from the Super Nintendo, the Genesis, all their Game Boy versions. I think it's like 30 bucks right now digitally or you can find it on disc. I can't recommend sets like that enough. And especially being able to play those games with a rewind feature and being able to save wherever you're uh, you're at. And also, another thing about those games... If you are unsure of how to get past a certain part, you can just watch a a playthrough of the game and then just start playing at any point in time. So if there's a certain point in a level that is just difficult, you can decide to watch it being played the right way, and then you can just continue playing from past that point. It's an incredible set. There are incredible games. Two games that I've played ad nauseum, and, and here I am bringing up Aladdin and The Lion King in the same realm as Spongebob Squarepants, and specifically the Spongebob Squarepants movie, which is certainly ironic. But what's not ironic is that the Spongebob Squarepants movie game is certainly among the rare group of video games that were released pretty much alongside their theatrical counterpart, and that are relatively good. Usually in this realm, there's... Not so good fanfare to be found. There's not many games that were rushed to market to coincide with a film's release that came out on the other end really good. Like a game that you would actually recommend to people. Usually, if you're a fan of something, you can trudge through the worst of the worst and it's okay. If you're a fan of Charlie's Angels, if you're a fan of Catwoman, you could probably play those games. You could probably push through them and enjoy them to a certain extent. I mean, I have certainly been there and done that with um with certain licensed games where they were at least good to a certain point to play through them either fully or to complete them 100%. Obviously, I do have a uh, a threshold. I have a line in the sand and if it is completely unplayable or if it's boring or it's not fun, I I will call it quits. The SpongeBob SquarePants movie game is not a game that you would have to call it quits on. And it's not one that you would even necessarily have to push through to continue to the end or to complete because the movie game is actually really good. And it's not a surprise as it was developed by the developers of the previous Spongebob game, Battle for Bikini Bottom, Heavy Iron Studios. So when there's already a studio that's helped create one of the greatest licensed games of all time, It's a slam-dunk idea to go back to that studio to say, Hey, do you want to help create the video game for the movie? And it's a smart idea. It's an absolutely smart idea. And you really couldn't go wrong between either of these two games, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie game and Battle for Bikini Bottom. There is obviously going to be those who prefer one over the other. And certainly, in Schiff's opinion... Battle for Bikini Bottom is the superior title. And I would say, in the realm of just being an overall SpongeBob SquarePants experience, I would agree with that. But there's no denying in terms of enjoyment from going from the SpongeBob SquarePants movie straight to this video game, that this is also an enjoyable experience, and certainly helped add the hype to the SpongeBob SquarePants movie release. The game released on October 27th 2004, for all of the main home consoles of the time, the PlayStation 2, the Nintendo GameCube, and the original Microsoft Xbox, as well as a PC version that was developed by AWE Games, who we've previously talked about on the episode uh, featuring Employee of the Month. They are the developers of that point-and-click adventure game, and they return this time with a point-and-click adventure-style game based off of the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Now, I, unfortunately, haven't been able to get that game playable on my computer, and it's the one SpongeBob game up to this point I have yet to play. So, in the interim, I'm mainly going to be talking about the SpongeBob SquarePants movie game that was released for the home consoles, as well to mention the Game Boy Advance version that was developed by WayForward Technologies, which I have dabbled in and is a fun platformer in its own right, A lot of these Game Boy, Game Boy Advance Spongebob games are really simple to pick up and play and to enjoy. Um, They're not overtly hard, and I would say that it's worth going out of your way to play them. I would hope to one day get some sort of collection with these Spongebob games, with a ton of these handheld versions just being perfect for some of these um, modern improvements that we've made to emulation, just the rewind features and the save states and that would just be perfect. Get all of the Nickelodeon handheld games into one collection. There's something there, I'm telling you. We can make a concept trailer for this, get it out there. THQ and Nickelodeon will see it. There won't be any money to be made on our end, but that's not what it's about. It's about just getting it out there for other people. It's about the fun. I would just like a special thanks in the in the credits. Good old special thanks to Captain Eric for keeping this flame alive. But beyond the uh, the, the handheld one, The real meat and potatoes of today's episode is the movie. It's all about the movie, and I'm talking about the movie that's on PS2, GameCube, and Xbox, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie game. As mentioned, released on October 27th, 2004, developed by Heavy Iron Studios, and was directed by Shiraz Akmal, produced by Keith Pope, designed by Joel Goodsell, programmed by Mark Pope, And the composers of the music for the SpongeBob SquarePants movie game is credited to Jimmy Levine, Robert Crew, John O. Kennedy, Barry Fassman, and Beth Ertz. Like with most movie-based games, the film's plot is the basis for the video game itself. But within that plot is room for the developers to kind of spread out different segments of the movie to make sense for more levels or, or different mini-games and moments throughout getting you from point A to point B. Now, there are some other movie-based games that have gone in wildly different uh, parts of the plot. Sometimes they're prequels to the film. Sometimes a game can be a sequel to the events of what had happened in a film. But for the most part, most studios just kind of stick to the film's plot and in some cases just add in moments... ...that just come out of nowhere, like extra dream sequences... ...or uh, just extra padding to characters and other things that have happened in the films... ...to varying degrees of success. And that's no different for the SpongeBob SquarePants movie game... ...which takes the entire plot of the SpongeBob SquarePants movie... ...and for the most part, lets you play out exactly what you see on screen. The first level of the SpongeBob SquarePants movie is no cheese... ...and just like the opening moments of the movie... You are playing as Spongebob on his way to the Krusty Krab to help deliver that slice of cheese to that cheeseless Krabby Patty. I've played enough uh, movie-based games to just see how this process works, and if you watch the Spongebob Squarepants movie, it's not hard to see at all how they would come up with that first level watching that first scene of, of the movie. It's a perfect opening scene. So we go from no cheese to I'm Ready Depression which takes place the morning after Spongebob and Patrick's night of debauchery at Goofy Goober's ice cream party boat. And the level is about Patrick trying to navigate the employment staff of Goofy Goober's while trying to get Spongebob and get out of there, going right into Sandwich Driving 101, which is the first of a few driving stages in which uh, you take control of Spongebob and Patrick driving the paddy wagon, one of the most exciting parts of the Spongebob Squarepants movie. Now you're able to drive this burger around, and you're given more than a few levels to try this patty out to its fullest extent, with Sandwich Driving 101 just being the first. Now, one of the padding moments of the plot to this game is the B-plot involving Plankton taking over the minds of creatures under the sea. And Spongebob and Patrick have determined that on their way to reclaiming King Neptune's crown, that they'll also save as many of these citizens as possible. One of these first levels is right after Sandwich Driving. It's 3,000 miles to Shell City. Instead of just having us drive down a a giant road with the paddy wagon, which I got to be honest with you, somebody out there should, should make a mod to Desert Bus from the Penn & Teller game on the Sega CD, you should mod Desert Bus to to be the paddy wagon that you have to drive from, from Bikini Bottom to Shell City and back and just make it as monotonous as Desert Bus with some maybe Spongebob references thrown in. That would be really cool. So instead of driving the paddy wagon just down these roads, uh, we're taking stops to take down some of Plankton's radio towers that he's using to control his minions. And that's one of these stops for the level 3,000 miles to Shell City. The next level is Rub-A-Dub-Dub, Slip-Slide in a Tub, which is one of the first slide levels in the game. Now, there are different levels to this game that kind of repeat one another with different aesthetics, ...on top of the level. Uh, This is one of these slide levels where SpongeBob and Patrick are in a tub... ...sliding down these rock formations. It's not anything that happens in the SpongeBob movie... ...but this sliding mechanic is used at least for one moment that happens in the movie... ...and it's honestly a nice little breakaway from the regular moments of the game. The game switches from these beat-em-up style levels from going to point A to point B gaining Goober tokens to upgrade all of the various abilities that both Spongebob and Patrick have in their arsenal, moving on to the driving stages where Spongebob and Patrick are driving in the paddy wagon in a wide variety of of different areas, then moving on to these slide levels, so this is the first of which, rub-a-dub-dub, slip-slide in the tub. Following I'm Ready Depression, this next level takes place entirely... In a new location to the Spongebob Squarepants world, the Thug Tug bubble-blowing baby hunt, which takes place entirely inside of the bar, which is of course where Spongebob and Patrick are getting the key back for the paddy wagon. And now that I've mentioned that, it's time for another driving stage, no weenie parking anytime, time, which is all about Spongebob and Patrick trying to get through some gates that are along their way onto Shell City and... You gotta use the paddy wagon to get around the bar to obtain five keys to unlock the gates. I'll Let You Pet Mr. Whiskers should be a key as to what's next as the first boss level in the game is all about Patrick taking down that dreaded frogfish and his ice cream lady tongue. Rock Slide is next, all about Spongebob and Patrick sliding down the slopes of the monster trench and reaching the bottom while avoiding all of the monsters, so... See, they include a sliding level into a moment in the uh, in the movie, although Spongebob and Patrick just fell all the way to the bottom of the trench. But this is a nice little, little difference maker here to add in some padding to the story. Now that we're men is all about traversing the monstrous trench, but with some added facial hair onto your sponge and or starfish. Shell City Dead Ahead is another level all about taking down those plankton radio towers that are keeping those minions under his control. And following that level, we get our second boss fight of the game, Names Dennis, which should be pretty obvious as to who we're fighting there. But it may not be obvious on who we're hearing during this fight, because Alec Baldwin does not return as Dennis for the SpongeBob movie video game, but we have Fred Tatasciore, a voice acting legend, coming in to voice for Dennis. Now... If his name doesn't sound familiar, I'm sure it might not to some of you out there, but some of the voices he has done out there in the industry for video games, TV, and movies are some legendary characters. He has been basically the voice of the Hulk in every video game, movie, and maybe not in the MCU, but if you have seen the Hulk in any of these other mediums, you have been listening to Fred since the year 2005. I thought that he may have started with the character once Disney took over, and that his first role was with the uh, Phineas and Ferb Marvel crossover special, but in fact, he was actually the voice of the Hulk for The Incredible Hulk Ultimate Destruction, the 2005 video game, Uh, one of the best Incredible Hulk video games ever, and that blew me away. So yeah, he's been the Hulk in a multitude of projects. He's been Yosemite Sam, he's been the Tasmanian Devil, he is Soldier 76, For any of you Overwatch fans out there, and he has also been the main voice for Solomon Grundy for a bunch of the DC uh, TV shows and video games, Uh, Fred came in to voice Dennis in the Spongebob Squarepants movie video game, but when you look through the amount of video games this man has worked on, it is a plethora of gold. Let me just list some of the names of some of the projects he has been a part of. Metal Gear Solid 3... Uh, Snake Eater, God of War, Twisted Metal Head-On, where he played Sweet Tooth, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Lockdown. He has been a bunch of the deadites in a ton of Evil Dead video games, including the newest Evil Dead, uh, The Video Game. He has been in Left 4 Dead, uh, a bunch of movie titles, Saints Row, Ghostbusters, uh, a bunch of Batman games, Halo, Uncharted. Uh, That's Fred telling me to, to knock it off and move on. But it's wonderful to see Spongebob among all of these other projects that he has been a part of. And, and seemingly, sky's the limit for anything else that Fred uh, Tadescuir is able to bring us in the world of voice acting. And following the Dennis boss fight, we are given another driving stage, Sunday Driving. Now, in the movie, this is right when Spongebob and Patrick are taken from the Cyclops and they kind of pass out. So in between the time of them getting, well, fish napped, And before they wake up inside of Shell City, SpongeBob and Patrick have this dream where they are driving the paddy wagon inside of this goofy goober-inspired world where they are driving after the goofy goober himself. It's one of my favorite little levels of the game. It's just those moments you can take away from the plot. And just enjoy some of the new moments and and really let the developers explore their creativity a bit. Uh, I, I like moments that can deviate from the plot in a, a smart way. And uh, I'm glad they took advantage of this moment where the characters were kind of out. Google Eyes and Smelly Knickknacks is the Shell City level. And I would say is the most disappointing level for me personally. I would have loved some sort of platforming level inside of Shell City. Um, that could have utilized more of the fish coming to life, maybe during that ending scene of trying to escape with the crown. Instead, we're given a sliding stage in which SpongeBob and Patrick are riding in a comically small version of King Neptune's crown, pretty much almost the same size as the bathtub that they've been riding in for the entirety of the game, almost like it was a swap-out. But that would make a lot of sense and would be really understandable. Uh, and to get the most out of this sliding mechanic. But you're in this crown, and you're sliding along these colored hoses all throughout Shell City, avoiding these Cyclops as he pops around ever so often. And it's really a cool sight to see the Cyclops, especially the size of him compared to SpongeBob and Patrick. Uh, After this level, we get to Dennis Strikes Back. Now, I do have to mention that in pretty much all versions of the game, David Hasselhoff is really not mentioned by name other than any time they try to say his name, it gets bleeped out as if the characters are swearing. And it's a really funny in-universe joke that they made here as to the fact that they can't just continually say David Hasselhoff and, for that matter, even use his likeness. Now, in all versions, there's mention of just this legendary lifeguard from television being the one to save Spongebob and Patrick at this moment, and there's different designs to how this character is portrayed across all versions of this game, but either way, the Hoff comes in to save the day, and we are on to our next level, which takes place entirely on the back of David Hasselhoff, Uh, Dennis Strikes Back, which is, of course, the next boss battle of the game taking place entirely on the back of the Hoff, Welcome to Planktopolis, Minions, is the next level all about Spongebob and Patrick traversing Planktopolis as they make their way to the Krusty Krab 2. We get our final driving stage of the game, Drive of the Knucklehead McSpazitron, with the two goofy goobers making their final drive all the way to the Krusty Krab 2 to finally take on King Neptune and Plankton for the final level, Turn the Tables on Plankton. Now, on top of these levels for the plot of the game, there are a bunch of bonus levels you can also join throughout your journey. There are Combat Arena Challenges, Floating Block Challenges, Sponge Ball Challenges, in which SpongeBob transforms into a ball and must traverse a course of obstacles, and there is also the Sonic Wave Guitar Challenges, and of course, it is really exciting when SpongeBob gets his guitar out in the Spongebob Squarepants movie game, one of the best moments of the game, and of course, one of the best video game movie commercials ever, just smartly utilizing Goofy Goober Rock and all of its advertisements throughout television and elsewhere. Uh, You couldn't escape... The advertisements for this movie. A few little tidbits of information I want to bring up from behind the scenes. If you play the PC version of this game, the point-and-click adventure version, there's not only a mention to the show here, a little reference to Flats the Flounder. If you find yourself in Squidward's house, just go and look at the chalkboard where Squidward has written down his new number that he's trying to keep away from SpongeBob. And Squidward right next to this has either drawn Flats the Flounder beating up Spongebob or Flats drew it himself and Squidward has just kept it on there. But he has a little arrow pointing to that and saying, I've changed my number uh, to avoid him and points over to Spongebob. So a nice little nod there to Flats the Flounder. But one of my favorite little Easter eggs in the Spongebob Squarepants movie uh, PC game, which even though I had mentioned I had not played it, This Easter egg in particular has made the rounds if you are a fan of of classic PC games in general. But if you are a fan of Zork, or specifically Zork 1, the Great Underground Empire, it is a tremendously popular PC text adventure where if you enter a dark area without any sort of light source at your disposal, there is a possibility of the text popping up that says you were eaten by a groo. G-R-U-E. Now, this is a text-based game, so by reading that, you are left to your own imagination as far as to what a groo looks like, and to be eaten by one, what does that look like? Well, in the PC SpongeBob SquarePants movie game, during the fifth chapter of the game, if SpongeBob tries to go further into the trench too soon, a bit of text pops up, with Spongebob saying that it's too foggy to see I could get eaten by a Gru. So I always loved the fact that here's this PC game making reference to one of the greatest early PC games that, that we have in Zork, uh, which, by the way, text-based adventure games, they, they sound like it wouldn't be that much fun of a time, but if you just have a certain level of imagination and you've never played one, I can't recommend them enough. They can be a fun time, especially creepy ones where you have to really set yourself in that mode, in that setting internally and and put yourself into this world because you never know what text is going to pop up. You yourself could get eaten by a guru. All versions of the SpongeBob SquarePants movie game have some form of backwards compatibility associated with them. The original Xbox version can be played on an Xbox 360. The original PS2 version can be played on early PS3 models and for a short time was also released on the PlayStation 3 digital storefront as a PS2 greatest hits. Which I really wish I was able to purchase in its time frame, although the release was panned By fans for its forced screen resolution, among a few other glitchy bugs that must have happened in the emulation process. And for as quick as it was released, it was almost taken down and hasn't seen the light of day since on a digital storefront. Uh, The GameCube version can be played in the Nintendo Wii console. And if you have the GBA version, you can get early models of the DS and DS Lite to be able to play that. Uh, That, and of course the Windows version, is still playable on on most Windows devices, except for my PC, unfortunately, but I, I think it's just something with the version of the game that I have, and I currently have a boxed version of the movie game just being delivered as we speak anyway, so uh, in due time. In due time, my friends. As far as my final thoughts are, at least for this episode of the SquareCast, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie game is an absolutely great companion to the movie itself. It's up there with Spider-Man 2 as a game that I know was released in the in the time frame of the film coming out and it's a game that I could I can stand next to and say, "Hey, if you really liked that movie, I think you will really enjoy this game." And even outside of the movie's enjoyment, this is still a fine SpongeBob SquarePants experience. There are moments in this game that you're not going to find anywhere else because Things like Goofy Goober couldn't even be mentioned in the video games for the, the time frame of like 14 years since the movie had come out before they were allowed to. There was some sort of firewall in between Paramount Pictures and Nickelodeon movies and then Nickelodeon animation. What were they allowed to to mention as far as these characters and and locations that were specifically created for a film? I, I don't know to the extent of those, uh, those contracts, but... Uh, If you were a fan of any of those locations from the SpongeBob movie or even now going and seeing any of the episodes that take place at Goofy Goobers, there's not many video games that we can point to that also feature levels that take place at Goofy Goobers or the Thug Tug or even Shell City, but here we have the SpongeBob SquarePants movie game. As far as a rehydrated version of this ever happening or ever seeing the light of day, I certainly would like to see what an updated visual version of the SpongeBob SquarePants movie game would look like, especially Shell City, like a level like that. Since we don't get a full-fledged level, I would love to see the effort to the to the design of that sliding level in, in a rehydrated sense. Um, I certainly would be interested to see levels like Sunday Driving and what those go through with an entirely new HD lens. And I think overall, it would be a fun release to see. I don't see it ever happening, though. I think these movie-licensed games are so intertwined with whatever contracts they were made for that it's almost an impossibility unless you get all parties involved, which I would say, look, in 2022, it shouldn't be that hard with how synergized Paramount is to make sure all these checks and balances are taken care of and to re-release that movie, but I don't think we've seen many movie games get the full-on re-release treatment. There have been a few, but not to that level, and I, I don't see them doing that. I think Battle for Bikini Bottom made sense because it was an original game, and it made sense to then redo that and then build off of it for the future, Um, but I would at least like to see the original movie game get re-released in some sort of digital sense alongside some sort of collection this could happen you could easily throw in super sponge all of the handheld spongebob games battle for bikini bottom revenge of the flying dutchman the spongebob movie game lights camera pants and then even throw in the nicktoons unite games all four of them boom one little collection right there that sells you uh, a lot of copies a lot of copies i promise you but if you are not already subscribed to the Captain Eric YouTube channel, make sure you do so, as well as following my two Twitch channels. I have SpongeBob Podcast, which will be for any big special live I'm Ready events. Uh, nothing that I have right now, but it's it's there for the future. So if you if you have a Twitch account, go follow SpongeBob Podcast as well as the Captain Eric. I will have both of those Twitch accounts. In the uh, podcast description below. Uh, when I eventually get into live streaming, I'm mainly going to be on YouTube, but if I can find the the means to just stream on both of those platforms, then I will do so. And since I've mentioned Twitch, and we're talking so much about movie on today's episode, I implore you to go and follow Shift on Twitch. The uh, the link to his uh, Twitch channel will be in the podcast description as of the recording of this episode and the release. His Twitch subathon is still ongoing. If you join it during the during the day, afternoon time Eastern Standard Time, you're bound to find a virtual playthrough of one of the uh, SpongeBob platforming games and you can even join in yourself to help get through the games in their entirety. And during the evenings, you will find Shift playing the SpongeBob SquarePants movie game without getting hit. And it's a very fun time. We listen to classical music. I'm usually in the chat for most nights, so you should come on by and hang out. But that is going to be this week for the SquareCast. Uh, I appreciate our time together. Thank you for being a part of the Ready Crew. You can reach Captain Eric at SpongePodPodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at I'mReadyPodcast and on Instagram at SpongebobPodcast. Please check out my other podcast this week, in Nickelodeon history, dropping every Sunday on most conceivable podcasting platforms. And don't forget to subscribe to the Captain Eric YouTube channel. You can also purchase new and updated merch at the Redbubble link, either in the podcast description or in the link from any of my socials. Anything that comes in through my projects, go directly back into my projects, and it's always appreciated. As always, please stay safe, be kind to one another, and come aboard again to another episode of I'm Ready! a Spongebob SquareCast. A hero no one ever imagined must save the world from an unspeakable evil and protect life, liberty, and the pursuit of Krabby Patties. The Spongebob Squarepants movie. Available now.